It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everybody. Welcome to the program. Today I continue discussing the topic of discerning the will of God. I begin by addressing the foundational parameters, that is, essential guidelines for every Christian to discern God's will for an individual. Each of these foundational parameters are part of God's will that will form the boundary of a region of possible choices for every believer. If we operate inside that region determined by these parameters, God can use us effectively and he will be able to give us the desires of our heart, according to Psalms 37, verse 4. We learn in Colossians 1, verse 9, God's desire is for believers in Christ to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Romans 12, 2 informs us to prove his will by testing. We have this promise, He who does the will of God abides forever. That is, he lives forever. That's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. Allow me to list some of these foundational parameters. First, God's will is for you to be saved. The witness of Scripture in this regard is unequivocal. We learn in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There are 10 Greek verbs for desire. The one here is speaking of a wish or desire that arises from a place of emotion. The desire for the salvation of lost sinners arises spontaneously from the love of God for a lost human race. It marks God's determined purpose. Yet, with this purpose, God does not force a man to accept salvation against his will. God made man a free moral agent. God will not violate the will of man. There are eight Greek verbs translated know, known, or knowledge. The one here means advanced or full or special knowledge. It means fully perceive, discern, recognize, knowing full well. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 states, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, 
who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The verse 4 is knowledge directed at a particular object, namely on God our Savior. And it lays stress on participation in the truth. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we learn, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There are many other scriptures that make the same point. For example, James 1.18, John 3, verses 16 and 17, Luke 19, verse 10, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Galatians 1.4, 1 John 2.17, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. I can read them to you, and you can hear them, but you need to make them yours. Therefore, we know without a doubt that God desires all people to be saved, but some are not saved. This fact is totally contrary to the idea of universalism. We know that all are not saved by Jesus' discussion of the parable of the sower the two gates of life, and he told some who had done certain religious deeds, depart from me, I never knew you. That's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. In Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower, three classes of people heard the word, but various situations prevented them from producing fruit. In his discussion of the two gates, we learn that the narrow gate leads to life and the few that find it. And the broad gate leads to destruction, and many go into destruction by it. Second, God's will is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 18 tells us, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. According to the Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest, the verb filled is in the present imperative tense. Hence the verse should be rendered, be constantly being filled with the Spirit. We went on to say that this has reference to the Spirit having control over the believer who is yielded to the Lord. Being filled with the Spirit is not always the common everyday situation for all believers. In other words, the experience can be one of fluctuation. It is not that the Holy Spirit fluctuates, but we, as individuals, do. We allow our commitment and zeal for the things of God to leak away and become dormant. 
The author of the book of Hebrews scolded some of those to whom he was writing that they had become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. That can be found in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11b and 12. They ought to be teachers and leading the class themselves, but they have to go back to the very beginning and learn their ABCs. Paul counseled Timothy to be devoted to reading Scripture, exhorting, teaching, and to keep a close watch on himself and guard what had been entrusted to him. Paul said, I remind you, stir up the gift which is in you by the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That can be found in Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. These instructions remain pertinent for believers today. We too are called to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. God commands, be constantly being filled with the Spirit. And it is just as much a disobedience of God's commands as it would be to steal, commit adultery, or to commit murder. Think about that and take the necessary action to obey that command. There may be some people who are content not being filled with the Spirit. Such people might think themselves to be quite pious Christians because they attend church regularly and partake of the communion service, though they continue to live year after year without being filled with the Spirit. Let me remind you, the same God who says, keep my commandments, also says, be constantly being filled with the Spirit. One way to manifest the Spirit-filled life is in our praise and worship. Another way is in giving thanks for all things. Expositors says the for all things is taken by many in its widest possible extent as including things evil as well as good. That interpretation, I believe, goes too far. Christians can get themselves in trouble in their interpretation of all without regarding the context. The context here is that Paul is not dealing with sufferings and the vicissitudes of the Christian life, but instead with what he receives from God and his consequent duty. In the surrounding verses, Paul gives a list of several imperatives. Be imitators of God. Do not be partakers with those sons of disobedience. Walk circumspectly. 
Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents, etc. Therefore, this narrow interpretation is most accordant with the context. To understand the all as referring to all the blessings of the Christian, the whole good that comes to him from God. Third, God's will is for you to be sanctified and grow to maturity. We find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, By this will we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1a, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Fourth, God's will is that his people develop godly character. From Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we learn, We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. We are called to become thankful. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. We are admonished to develop the attitude of humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Be clothed with humility. James 4, 6 iterates, God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, etc. St. Jerome warned, beware of the pride of humility. In his book, Authentic Christianity, Ray Stedman tells the story of a congregation that gave their pastor a medal for humility, but then took it away because he wore it. We have an enemy without, Satan, but we also have an enemy within, the flesh. Pride has a thousand faces. It is a master of disguise. C.S. Lewis has rightly said, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more that we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. Allow me to close this episode by reminding you 
exercise daily walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.